Amen. That's a great reminder, isn't it? Reiterating over and over the steadfast love of God from which he does all things. Years ago, maybe about uh, almost 40 years ago, I began to pastor a little church in the mountains of New Mexico. And uh, on Wednesday nights, I was teaching some, some praise courses. And I had a, an older lady in my church that uh, really didn't like me and she didn't like praise courses. So one Wednesday night, she said, you know, I really like the old songs. And I said, here's some songs that are a thousand years old. And we were singing some of the songs, you know. But isn't that amazing that, that David was not ashamed, he was not bashful about reminding himself, reminding you and me, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, never comes to an end. And all that he does, everything that he does, is motivated out of that love. All in creation and redemption and sanctification and provision and supply and forgiveness. Everything that God does is because of his steadfast love that's toward us that never changes. He has loved us from everlasting to everlasting. He will not ever quit loving because that's his nature. And so as we come to this uh, Sunday where we're looking at the idea of connecting in a compassionate community, that is what underlies all of the love that we share, all the love we're called to share, all the love that God gives to us to share is the fact that God himself is steadfast. He never ceases in loving us. So I want to share with you just a little bit about the whole idea of, of how this love comes to be. Uh, about two, three weeks ago, my family and I were heading towards Montana from different routes and Denise and I found ourselves in Missoula, Montana on a Sunday morning. So the previous night I had Googled to find out if there was some kind of reformed church in Missoula, Montana. And I found this little church called the, the Community Reformed Church. And so we went to that church uh, the next morning. And uh, in the foyer we were embraced by this guy, he's a civil engineer, I, I'm assuming he's an elder, I don't know. This guy just glommed on to us, he was like Murray, you know, just a supercharged Murray, just began to talk to us, ask us where we were from, and, and even when we told him we were just visiting, we were from Texas, he didn't just say, well, so much for that, we won't get, he just, he stayed with us, he loved on us, he kept speaking to us, he was interested in us. He was showing the love of God to those that were coming in to that building. And then we went into the worship service. The pastor was, he was not a charismatic guy, but he was just a word-based guy. He brought the word of God. In fact, when Denise and I left, I said, well, that was, that was a good service, wasn't it? She said, you know, we've been to church today. And this guy proclaimed the glory of God and all of his facets. That was his topic for the day. And then at the end of that service, they served us communion. And the pastor stood there and served communion at the front. And that's what they do in this uh, United Reformed Church that this Community Reformed Church is a part of. Every Sunday they have communion. And so there was an opportunity for us to see, to smell, to taste the reality of this, that God's steadfast love never ceases and that he calls us to remember that even in the sacraments, not only by word, but in the deed that he's done in Christ Jesus. And in this reminder, a physical reminder, every time that we take communion, every time we see someone baptized, here's the steadfast love of God showing and reminding us again what he's done from the foundation of the earth and loving us in Christ Jesus and what he will be doing when time is no more and we're in his presence. And Jesus tells us to remember what I've done and remember that I'm going to have that meal again with you when this age is complete. And so in a lot of different ways, God was revealing himself. Now, God is really, he's the best partner. He is the prototypical partner of what love is about. You know, in eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were perfectly complete. They enjoyed one another. They still do. 
They were always in complete agreement, in total community. They were experiencing the divine love. They didn't need anything else. They didn't need a world. They didn't need Saturn. You know, they didn't need Sagittarius. They didn't need anything else. They were complete in and of themselves. But because of the nature of love, they desired to share with others. And so they made creation. And God's steadfast love is all over all of his creation. So really the, the primary thing that it means to be made in the image of God, which we are stamped with his image, is that we have this ability, this invitation into communion with God the Father. So the night before he's crucified, Jesus prays this way, doesn't he? He's the prototypical parent and partner in love. And he says, Father, I desire that these whom I'm with, whom I've given your name to, I desire that they be one with us where we are, that the love that you and I share would be in them, that we would be one with them. And so he set the tone for his community, which is the church, which is family. So as I sat in that little church, I realized those elements that were speaking to the reality of God's steadfast love. Then we got up to Kalispell, Montana, where we met our kids and our grandkids. We stayed in a farmhouse near Flathead Lake. We shared meals and we shared with one another. And I remember in passing as we talked, as we cooked together, as we did things together, that uh, my son said, you know, Dad, some people play like they love each other, but he said, our family, it's obvious, we love each other, you know. And my sons-in-law are looking at that, you know, and my daughter-in-law, they're looking at that, and, and they're, they've got to acknowledge that. We love each other. We're almost perfect. No, we're not, we're not very perfect at all, but we love each other. And so here's my son. He's, he's segwaying. He's moving. He's moving to Amarillo. In fact, he started a job here last Wednesday, and they purchased a house and sold their house in Hobbs, and so they're in the process of moving. But he, he took a big venture. He's a 28-year-old petroleum engineer. He wants to venture out on his own. He'd been working for a company. He was making $180,000 a year. I'm going, what? You're making $180,000 a year? What's the deal with that? I make that in a lifetime, you know? And so here he's making all this money, but he really wanted to, he wanted to test the waters. And so he took a big drop in pay, he moved to, and he's moving to Amarillo. But it's also kind of a stressful time. You know, moving's always stressful, but he's, he's stepping into the unknown. He and his wife are praying, God, help us to make the right decision. We just want to honor you. We want to glorify you. Help us to make the right decision, but it's still nerve-wracking. And so as we're talking about that, my middle daughter looks at him and says, you know, okay. He said, because of your family of origin, even if you fail, you'll never have a big fall. And that's true about those who are in the family of God who are covered by the steadfast love of God. Even when we fail, even if it's a failing of our own making, even if it's a failing that's contrary to the purposes God had, there's never a great fall because beneath us are the steadfast, everlasting arms of God. And so we have this thing where, you know, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're, you're kind of in like Flynn, aren't you? You're in. How do we respond to that? Because God set this parameter. And here he gives us this definition. So I want to read these parameters of the love of God, starting in 1 Corinthians. I think you find this in page 20, or excuse me, 1220. I'm going to start with the last verse of chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 31. And this is what the apostle says. Earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. 
It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for the prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. And then he says this in chapter 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So, you know, when you read the Ten Commandments, this is an interesting thing, thinking about when God declares his love over people. The first place that God specifically says that he loves people is not until the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. And God pronounces his love. He says, I have loved you, not because you're great, not because you're righteous, not because you're better than the other people's. I've chosen you and I love you. And he reminds him of that again in Deuteronomy 7 or in Deuteronomy 10. But when he gave Moses his name, he said, my name is steadfast love and faithfulness. And he loves us because of who he is. It is what initiates his love toward us. In his holiness, he shares himself with us. He becomes our partner in life. And then when you read through the Ten Commandments, that's written to a people whom God has already said he loves. They don't have to do those Ten Commandments to be loved. He said, I love you. I want you to learn to love me. So if, what was the guy's name that used to be on late night TV? I can't stay up late. David Letterman. He used to have the top 10 ways to do stuff, you know, the top 10 this. Well, the top 10 ways to love God are like the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. God said, I love you. I want you to learn to love me. So here's some commandments. Abide by these and we will become one in reality. You will experience my love deeper and deeper. And so we look at that and we line up our lives according to that and we go, man, I'm not, I'm not doing too well. Some days I just don't do well at all. I, I might covet something. I'm driving up to Montana. I'm driving a really nice pickup. You know, got my stuff in the back, staying in motels. And a motorhome goes by and I think, man, I'd really like to have a motorhome. You know? and, and it's just natural for us to want more than we have, isn't it? To, to covet, to become idolaters, to have our devotion veer off to the left or to the right. But God shows us those commands. He said, keep coming to me. And so we keep confessing. We keep coming to him. We keep laying down our debts of love toward God and forgiving those that have a debt toward us. And God keeps this work going in us, making us one with Christ Jesus so that as the church we become what he is because God and his holy love is the vision of loveliness. Just think about God and all of his splendor, all of his glory. He is the defining purpose of all things and he's also the definition of love He's the definition of beauty because he's beautiful in his holiness, in his love. And he's called us to share in that. He's created us in his image. And so as we look at the Ten Commandments and say, wow, those are hard to do. But they're not as hard as this. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. Love does not, it does not envy, it does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Now, I don't know about you, but I can become irritable really quick. Just really quick, I get tired, things don't go the way that I anticipated, and man, I'm, I'm an irritable 10 plus, just in short order, you know. 
But love's not like that. God's not irritable. He's not like that. He doesn't envy and he doesn't boast. He doesn't force his own way. And he doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. We live in a society that's trying to define love in very perverse ways, aren't we? Very perverse ways, but God's defined it here in 1 Corinthians 13. He's defined the community of the saints. So the context of this passage is not only the reality of the Corinthian church that was really falling down on the job. They weren't being a compassionate community. They were dividing themselves along sectarian lines. Some were listening to pastor so-and-so, some to another pastor so-and-so. They were denying Paul his rightful place as the one who fathered their community. And they weren't loving one another. They weren't sharing their life with one another, their goods, their time, their talents. But Paul comes along and he reminds them, this is who God is. This is what love looks like. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's like God himself. It never fails. It never ends. Love defines God to a great degree. In fact, the Apostle John says, God is love. And this is love. Not that we love God, because we didn't. But He loved us. And He sent His Son to be a propitiation, to satisfy His wrath against our sin, so that we could be one with Him. And then He brings us into this relationship, and He begins to expand our hearts, so that we begin to rejoice not in what's wrong, but we rejoice with the truth, because love is truth. And truth is love. We have a God who is love. We have a Son of God who is the truth and the Spirit of truth that's sent to us to shed abroad in our hearts the love of God. And so we're in a position where we can grow and we're called to grow. So here's God defining love for us. And we may stack ourselves up to that. A few years ago on Lent, I took 40 days and I meditate on a, on a little passage of 1 Corinthians 13 each day. And every day, man, I thought, wow, this stuff is great. But I'm not doing so great at some of this stuff. But how great is the love of God that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting, abundant life. And so we're called into that. We have this definition here, and then we're called to go and proclaim that. The church is called to proclaim the love of God. Wasn't it great last week? Brady, I hope you're hearing her Brady's sermon on, on being a missional church and how we are missionaries wherever we are 24 7 it's not like there's a separation you know when when uh, Howard and I leave today we don't just go do what we want for six days we're seeking to follow Jesus and when you leave today you don't just go do what you want you're seeking to follow Jesus we're called to go out in the world and to proclaim this love to testify this Jesus did this the Spirit of the Lord is upon him because he was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. And who are the poor except for those who don't have access to the good stuff in life? They don't have access maybe to the legal system or the educational system or to the health care system. Maybe they don't have access to getting a house because they don't have enough money for down payment. A lot of stuff they don't have access to. But the poor are really the people who do not have access to God. And we go out to proclaim that access that it is there in Christ Jesus for everyone who would come and partake. And so we go out to proclaim that. And we proclaim it to one another. Because love is not only something that we speak, although it has to be spoken. God speaks because He loves. But He does also. He upholds all things by the word of His power. He upholds our life. He feeds the goats in the wilderness. He waters the flowers in the desert. Everything that He's created, He loves and He takes care of it. And so we're called to speak the truth in love. If you and I are going to grow up into the likeness of Christ Jesus, we have to be willing to live in community and to proclaim the love of God to one another. We have to speak the truth of God to one another in order to grow up into the likeness of Christ. There's no other way. The Word of God 
has to prevail among us. We have to yield to that word. But it's always spoken because God loves us. When we speak to other people, we speak because we love them. So I noticed in this church in uh, Missoula, and it's very obvious because of the fellowship they had, that they were a church under discipline. God disciplines those he loves, doesn't he? If, we, if we're not disciplined, then the writer of Hebrews says, then we're not God's kids. We're illegitimate. But God disciplines all those that he calls to himself. He trains them. He perfects them. So I was thinking about that whole idea of being perf- perfected in love. You know, John Wesley wrote a book. One of the books that he wrote was called, uh, I think it was called Sinless Perfection. Anyway, it was just a little book. And he talked about how he anticipated people in this life could be perfected in love. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever met anybody. I've met some very loving people. But I don't know if I've ever met anybody that's perfected in love. But I understand what he's saying. We're called to be perfected in love. In fact, John says that judgment, the coming judgment, has to do with sin. And that those who fear that judgment are not perfected in love. But those who are perfected in love have no fear of coming judgment. Wow. I used to look at that, and I'd think of it this way. i think, man, I better get after it. Because I saw the bumper sticker, Jesus is coming back, and he's really mad. You know? And I think, man, I better get perfect. I better work at this. And I should be working out the salvation that God's given me, but it's his perfect love for me that secures me and removes the fear. It's not my perfect love toward him. It's not even my perfect love toward anyone. It's God's perfect love for me that gives me the freedom to fail. That gives me the freedom to try. That gives me the freedom to strive without being driven by guilt because of God's perfect love over me. And that's the, that's the mortar of the church. I heard a guy speaking one time. He said, you know, he said, we're not to touch the mortar. We're, we're a house of stones, aren't we? Living stones built together for God's dwelling place. And what holds us together is the love of God. That's the mortar that brings those stones together. And so we're called to be loving. Now, the world's trying to tell us what love is. Right now, the world is trying to tell us that, that tolerance equals love, doesn't it? That's what it's trying to tell us. But have you noticed how tolerance has morphed to a demand to affirm perversion? How it's morphed that way? Now there is a demand that we say that love is tolerating everything, even sin, greed, envy, sexual perversions, abortion. It's demanding that we affirm these things as proper. We can't do that. That's the most unloving thing that we would ever do is to affirm sin as proper because sin kills. And God's called us out of sin and into the love that he shares with the Son and with the Spirit and now shares with us. So we are the church. We're called to do that. We're called to share that love. We're called to receive that love and really to experience the love of God. Now, doesn't that sound experiential? You know, in, in Psalm 34, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Isn't that, isn't that great? So we taste the Lord. So we taste him, don't we? Not with the physical tongue, but we taste him. We experience him. And this is what the Corinthians were not doing. They had all of their theology intellectualized. They didn't have to practice it. They didn't have to cater to the people that were in need. They could separate their tables at the love feast. They could do all kinds of stuff like that. But Paul said, that's improper. That's not right. Love shares what it is, who it is. Narcissism takes, doesn't it? Narcissism makes it all about ourselves, the things that we love, even people. You know, we can love people for our sake rather than loving them for who they are and for God's sake. But that's not the way the church is to operate. 
The church loves people, not for our sake, not so that we can be famous, not so that we can build ourselves up in some work we've done, but because God loves people, His love moves through us, His, His agape, His kind of love that's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So here we are, you and I. We're in this uh, community called the church, and we get all these times, all these these. Uh, places where we can interact and where we learn to love one another, where we learn to practice that love, where we grow up into what Paul writes here. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now, faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. And God has invited us into this community. He's brought us in. He's really compelled us, hasn't he? He brought us into the community of the church in order that we might share love, that that love would flow out of our lives more and more. And so we come Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, small group after small group. We have all these places where we're training I read a book one time that Billy Graham recommended called Training for Reigning. And it was written by a missionary in Mexico. And he said, all of this life is training us, preparing us for reigning with God in eternity. And all of this life is training us to reign in love, to share in the holiness that is God's love, and to share in the love that is God's holiness. So you and I have been equipped by the Holy Spirit. And it's not a matter of whether we're gifted or are fruitful. It's a matter of both. And that's why Paul sandwiches 1 Corinthians 13 between 12 and 14. He, defined, he tells us, he said, we're gifted, folks. We are gifted. We're anointed. But not for ourselves, but to serve others. To serve others. To build them up so that together we become the body of Christ in Amarillo, Texas and wherever it is that God sends us. So let me pray with you. Let me pray over you. Let me encourage you again with this prayer. Father, we do want to thank you for this day, God, that we've been able to gather together. Thank you for the worship. We're able to submit ourselves to you, to adore you, God, to remember that our calling is to that, to glorify you, to enjoy you forever. And thank you, Father God, for prayer. Thank you for times when we can pray together, not only in adoration, but a confession, God, with gratitude, praying for others, God, in supplication. Father, we think this day, again, how great is the love of Jesus, who having all things, possessing all things, did not count equality with you something to be grasped, but he humbled himself to serve God, the essence of giving himself in love. And so, Father, we, we come to you. We acknowledge that we are weak in these things, but we bless you, God, that in our weakness, your strength is made perfect. So come and perfect your love in us and through us into this community. Perfect it in our families. Perfect it in this church, God. May we see your kingdom and your purposes is above everything. That we would not carry anxiety in life, but instead we would carry the hope and the love that are in Christ Jesus. God, that you would expand your rule. That your name would be magnified in us. So God, we open our hearts, our minds to you today. God, be glorified in this place. Be glorified in Christ who dwells in us by your Holy Spirit. Father, may we be taken captive as the apostle was to your love. Informed, transformed, God, conformed by the power of your love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.